Welcome to the podcast of Grace Crossing Church, where life and faith intersect. Something has happened to me, and I don't know what it was, but I need it to be free. Like Jason Bourne, something has happened to us with our true identity. And until we find and get rid of the false identities, we will never be free in our true identity. What is it that distracts you from your true identity? Success? Failure? What others say about you? Or maybe how you look distracts you from your true identity. It's a difficult process to figure out who we really are and how to live out of who we really are. Well, good morning. My name is Life Anderson. I'm the executive pastor here at Grace Crossing Church. And we've been in a four-week series. This is the third week of God at the Box Office. We're looking at the Born series. And we're, real, we're, we're taking a look at um, exactly how to find our true identity, our born identity. The underlying plot in this series is David Webb, involved in a clandestine CIA operation that has gone bad. He can't remember his name, and then he gets a severe memory loss on top of that. He eventually discovers he's been given multiple names and multiple identities. He lands on the American identity of Jason Bourne. Well, like David Webb, we too are in search of our born identity. According to the Bible, our identity was lost when a spiritual divorce happened in the Garden of Eden. In the narrative found in Genesis 3, mankind separated himself from a perfect union with God. The created turned its back on the creator, disobeying God's word and disavowing God's promises. In that moment, mankind lost its identity. Jesus calls the serpent in that garden the thief. And in John 10.10, it says, the thief comes to steal, to kill, and destroy. But Jesus says, I have come to give life and to give it abundantly. So Satan's trademark is to steal our identity, to kill our true self, and to destroy God's image in us. But Jesus came to reverse the curse in the garden. Jesus came to restore us in our true identity. He came to give us life, God's life, eternal life, abundant life, as John 10.10 speaks of. Until we know who we are, we will assume a false identity and tell ourselves things that are just untrue. Lies, we tell ourselves. In his book, Search for Significance, which is an incredible book if you want to learn more about your identity in Christ, Robert McGee says this. These are the things we tell ourselves, he says. I must meet certain standards to feel good about myself. So in other words, how I feel about myself is going to go up and down depending on circumstances and those standards that I've set for myself. This goes totally contrary to what we learned in week one in our series, that I am the righteousness of God. There, as you recall, God says that I am completely forgiven and fully pleasing to him based on what Christ did on the cross 
out of Romans 5.1. I do not need to hold myself to some sort of standard. Another lie that we tell ourselves is, if I fail, I am unworthy of love and deserve punishment. That's where we get really critical on ourselves, really hard on ourselves. We're kind of the jury and the judge on ourselves. But as we learned last week when we looked at the younger son and his failure in the prodigal son story, because we are God's child, God says, you are deeply loved beyond any failure. And even according to 1 John 4, 9 through 11, there is no failure that will keep me from God's love and forgiveness. And you remember the father in that prodigal son story had his arms open waiting for his son, ready to love him, ready to forgive him, ready to throw a party for him. The other lie that we tell ourselves is that I must be approved and accepted by others to feel good about myself. We got any people pleasers out there? This is the people pleasing. This is the older son who pleased people even out of obligation. He pleased the father. But just like the older son in the prodigal story, he learned that as God's child, that he was totally accepted by God. And he calls his child forever to be his child. So the father gave the older son, he didn't realize this, remember, he gave him all things. And he didn't even realize that he had all things from God. So in this series, the big idea has been my identity is based solely on what God says and on what God does, not on what others say about me or even what I say to myself. Neil Anderson, in his book, Bondage Breakers, and another really good book to, to read is Victory Over the Darkness. Neil Anderson puts it this way. He says, it is not what I have done or what has been done to me that determines who I am. Rather, it is who I am in Christ that determines what I do and how I live. My identity in Christ is not achieved. It's received. It's, it, it's the unshakable ground upon which I build my life. I will not base my life upon what circumstances or others or even my own destructive thoughts say of me, but rather what God says is true of me. This morning, God has so much to share with us about our identity and what is true about us. And I'm going to share three truths this morning. But before I get to those, I want to give us a couple helps along the way. If you're like me, sometimes when I hear something positive or have a positive experience, I push it away. It's kind of almost too good to be true. Uh, that happened to me uh, just before my 30-year-old birthday. My wife wanted to give me a positive gesture and throw me a surprise birthday party. So it was a couple days before my birthday. My birthday was not even on my radar. And a neighbor calls me and he said, Life, I need a little help to go down to the rec center to pick up some tables for a family gathering that he was having. And I said, no problem, Mike. And so we headed to the rec center. And uh, he let me go first. And I opened the door. And all of a sudden, surprise! I was in shock. My next step was not to enter in. Right away, what I did was shut the door. 
I mean, talk about anticlimactic. My wife and I have talked about this numerous times. But in that split moment, it was like, I was, what is going on here? And it was just too positive to kind of take in. And so after what seemed to be forever, it was probably about five to 10 seconds of me just getting my bearings, I opened the door and went in and enjoyed the birthday party and had to explain, you know, why I didn't come in right away to everybody. But some of us, as you hear some of these truths that I'm about to share, you're going to be a little resistant and think like, ah, no, no, that's not me. It's going to be hard to take in for you. So I want you to take a pause, just like I did, opened up that door, and let God begin to share his truth to you. One other help that I'll give you is oftentimes when we start talking about our identity, we get into the world's mindset that we have to achieve something in order to receive something, okay? I achieve working at my job, and then I receive a paycheck, or I receive a promotion. Um, That's how the world works. For example, Mother Teresa, she achieved an incredible ministry among the poor in Calcutta, India. She received sainthood. They called her a saint for what she did. God flips the the equation With the work of Christ on the cross that we've been singing about, we receive and we don't have to achieve anything to get what he gives us and what he declares is true about us. It goes totally contrary to the way we think. So the response when we do receive this declaration of who we are and our identity, our response is gratitude and a thankfulness to obey God and do the things he wants us to do because he's given us so much and he loves us so much, much like the younger son in the prodigal son story. So the first one is this. Are you ready? The first one is, I am a saint. I am a holy one. It's going to take a few of you guys to get your bearings on that one. But let's look at Ephesians 1 and see what God's word has to say. Here Paul, an apostle of Christ, Jesus by the will of God says this, to the saints who are at Ephesus and who are faithful in Christ Jesus. This is all the people in the church at Ephesus. I could say the saints at Grace Crossing Church right here. Some of you may not be believing me a little bit. Let's just flip to to the next letter of Paul. Let's go to Philippians and see what he says. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Christ Jesus, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, in the church there, including the overseers and the deacons. Everybody, not just the elite are saints. Every believer is a saint because of what Jesus Christ did on the cross. It's easy for us to get this whole idea of being holy and and holiness. In fact, in other translations, the word saint is called holy one. And and the way we get this misunderstood is we focus on behavior. We got to achieve something. We got to do a bunch of stuff. We got to almost be perfect to be called a saint. God calls you a saint because of what Jesus did. That's how he sees you. 
in the church. We've had a holiness movement that has gone down through the centuries. And it started out really well. It started out with this declaration that we're holy. But then, as we often do, we get it kind of mucked up with adding behavior to it. And what do we add to it? We put certain behaviors that you have to do to be holy. You've got to wear certain clothing in order to be holy. You've got to do certain activities to be holy. That's not in God's word. He declares us a saint and holy all because of what Jesus has done. So it's like this. How is holiness defined? Holiness is a new identity that kicks in the very moment that you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. As we've learned in successive weeks, a metamorphosis takes place. A change takes place. I think of uh, beauty and the beast. When the beast turns into the prince and there's this circular motion going on and he just kind of changes into something brand new. That's what happens to us when we first give our lives to Jesus Christ is we become a brand new creation. Right then, we belong to God. Right then, we're free from the power of sin. That doesn't mean we don't struggle with sin, but we're free from the power because of Jesus Christ. And also this, we're set apart. We're a special people to God. And another word for that is we're consecrated. God looks as a, at us as a, as a holy people. This whole idea of consecration, we're going to take a look at it at our next one prayer on March 1st. And I want to encourage all of us to attend that. Along with the praying that we do for one another in our church, we're going to have a special time of consecrating ourselves before the Easter, before the Easter season. And it starts off at Lent. So I just want to encourage you to, to come out for that. But this whole idea of being holy and being a saint is first of all declared, but then it's still a process for us to continue to grow in. You know, here at Grace Crossing, we say, come as you are, but grow. We need God's word. We need fellowship. We need prayer. We need to serve in order to grow in our walks with the Lord, in order to become more holy. An example of that is is like D-Day and V-Day in World War II. D-Day marked the beginning of the end of the war. But it wasn't until V-Day till it was completed. In our Christian life, D-Day is when we first come to Christ. It first begins that we're holy and declared holy. V-Day is the time we get to heaven and see God face to face. That's when we'll be 100% holy in God's eyes. Another example is just personal. As a husband and as a dad, when I first became a Christian, one of the things I struggled with the most was being very impatient. Very impatient with my wife, very impatient with my kids. Um, I would just get stressed, I'd get anxious, and I'd take it out on her or I'd take it out on them. I really, really struggled. But God said back then, life, you're holy. So I was declared holy But there was a process that I needed to go through reading God's word and understanding this whole idea that God's love is patient in 1 Corinthians 13, 4. I needed prayer. I needed support of other other believers. And this was an ongoing process actually till about five or six years ago. And I actually needed counseling to get to some things in my heart 
to begin to lower the waves on the inside that were so stressful so that I could respond better to the circumstances, the anxieties, and the things that were stressing me out on the outside. And one of the things that really did that was a verse in Zephaniah 3.17. Zephaniah 3.17 says, um, God is with you. He is mighty to save. He greatly delights in you. He comforts you with his love. He celebrates over you with singing. And one of the connections that a guy helped me to make was as I allow God's love, that love that comforts me from all fears, as I allow that more internally inside to my heart, those fears dissipate, the anxieties and the stress dissipate, and I'm much more able to handle things um, as they come my way, no matter if they're positive or negative. So I was in this process, and I'm in a continual process. I'm not, I don't have it down yet. I'm not perfect. But that's the process that God has us in as we grow and as we seek to become more holy. The second truth that God says to you and I is I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. We are a holy dwelling. Let's take a look at 1 Corinthians 3, 16 and 17. It says, don't you realize that all of you together are the temple of God and that the spirit of God lives in you? God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Let's also take a look at 2 Corinthians 6.16. And what union can there be between God's temple and idols? For we are the temple of the living God. As God said, I will live in them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. You are more highly valued than you ever imagined. Let me explain this from the background of the Old Testament and the New Testament with this whole idea of a temple. In the Old Testament, in 1 Kings 5 through 8, the first temple was built by Solomon. It was a temple where everybody that believed in God would worship. This temple was constructed with certain rooms and and restricted entrances for certain people. On the outer part of this temple, everybody could come. In the inner courtyard of this temple, one, one room was called the holy place. This was restricted to just priests to come to give burnt offerings for the people. The other inner room that was divided, whoop, excuse me there, that was divided by a curtain and a veil was called the Holy of Holies. This was restricted to only the high priest. He could go in here one time of year on the Day of Atonement. And when he went in there, what he would see was the Ark of the Covenant, which resided God's presence or the Holy Spirit. Incredible power, incredible glory, incredible majesty resided in this Holy of Holies. So much so that they tied a rope on the high priest's leg just in case God's glory overwhelmed him and he were to die in there that they could pull him out. Incredible, incredible place. 
Only the high priest was able to go in there, as I shared. Well, let's go to the Gospels. Upon Jesus' death on the cross, this veil, this curtain was torn in two. And the temple um, that signified that through Christ, that, that was the only pathway to God. So Jesus, in essence, became that high priest that became the pathway to God through his death and resurrection. So we were no longer separated by just a priestly entrance or a once a year highly, high, highly priest entrance to God. And now get this. God says, you are that temple. That temple no longer exists. That temple now is our body. The holy of holies is our heart. And that's where the Holy Spirit resides. It's incredible the value that God has placed on us to call us that, to declare this true about us. And Jesus Christ now is a high priest. And he went in, not to give an animal sacrifice, he went in to give his own blood as a sacrifice for all of our sins and to change the whole system of forgiveness. What's even more? In order to justify that only a priest could enter in, get this, God declares us a priest because we have direct access to God now through Jesus Christ. Let's take a look at 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. Get this, you are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God. For he called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Incredible. Incredible declaration that God gives us of many things that we are, but one is that we are now a priest. That's what it means to be the temple of the Holy Spirit. It's not something we achieve, but it's something we simply receive from what Christ declares true about us. So what does that mean? Out of gratefulness, we need to care well for our bodies as a temple and care well for our hearts and what we put in there because of what God declares true about us. The third, the third and last truth is I am a citizen of heaven, a holy home. Let's take a look at Philippians 3, 20 to 21. Philippians says, but we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting for him to return as our savior. He will take our weak mortal bodies and change them into glorious bodies like his own using the same power with which he will bring everything under his control. To become a U.S. citizen, all I had to do was be born. I applied and received my passport. I didn't have to achieve anything. When we got ready as a family to go overseas in Kazakhstan for two years, I could go in and out of many, many countries as a U.S. citizen. Upon my return to the U.S., I would go through passport control. They would grab my passport, stamp it, and say, often, 
welcome home. It was a warm feeling. It was that there's no place like home feeling whenever we would get back from being overseas. As a citizen of heaven, God will look at our heavenly passport because we're a citizen of heaven. He's going to stamp it because of what Christ did on the cross. And he's going to say to us on that day, welcome home, welcome home. This is the assurance that we have. This is what God declares that is true of each and every one of us, that we are a citizen of heaven. A saint, a holy one, a temple of the Holy Spirit, a holy dwelling, a citizen of heaven going to a holy home. I want you to say this with me. Say it out loud. Sometimes we've got to verbalize the identity that God gives us for it to take for it to get a little deeper in us. I want you to say this. I am a saint. A holy one. I am a temple of the Holy Spirit. A holy dwelling. I am a citizen of heaven. Going to a holy home. A holy one. A holy dwelling a holy home. Holy, holy, holy. As you listen to this next song, contemplate on what God says is true about you. I want to encourage you to ask God to take your identity deeper, just a degree. Ask him to take it deeper in you. This is one of my all-time favorite hymns, Holy, Holy, Holy. And just as God is holy, He shares his holiness with us by declaring us holy. Listen and pray and ask God to take this deeper. Thanks for listening. To learn more about Grace Crossing Church, including service times and directions, check us out on the web at www.gracecrossingchurch.net. We hope to see you at one of our upcoming weekend worship gatherings. Have a great day.